This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am not much of a car guy. I'll tell you what feature in modern cars that I really do like. Smart cruise control. Now, I've always loved cruise control. Great for driving on the highway and you just set your set your speed and then boom. That's your, that's your speed. You don't have to worry about accelerating, decelerating. But this smart cruise control, which most of the, I think, newer vehicles have, certainly our car, which is a couple of years old, has it, is really great because it basically adjusts based on traffic patterns. <clears throat> you set your speed. Let's say you set it at 55 miles per hour, and there's a car a little bit in front of you. It slows down. It slows down to 48 or 49 miles per hour, whatever it needs to do. In order to make sure there's a safe distance between you and the car in front of you. So when I use that smart cruise control, I you know my hands are still on the wheel. I'm steering, but I'm not accelerating at all. I let that smart cruise control do its thing. I love it. I use it every day. And, you know, knock on wood, it has never steered me wrong. And since I've been using this, I've been wondering because, you know, I've been using this car for, I guess, a year or so. I've been wondering, am I kind of the perfect person to eventually get a driverless car or what they call an AV, an autonomous vehicle? Because the technology for driverless cars or autonomous vehicles has been advancing over the years. And it seems not a matter of if, but when these driverless cars are going to be all over this place, all over the place. There have really been two, maybe three, three cities that have served as the biggest experimental hubs of these driverless cars. One is Phoenix in Arizona. One is Austin in Texas. And one is San Francisco. Well, things are not looking great for people who are dreaming of driverless cars. In the 19th century, this group called the Luddites, this is where the term come from, comes from, Luddites smashed up automatic looms to protest that new technology. Well, last weekend, people at a San Francisco Lunar New Year celebration seemed to have the same idea, but with a whole lot more firepower. A mob, an angry mob, incinerated an autonomous vehicle, an AV, an autonomous vehicle operated by Waymo. Waymo is owned by a company called Alphabet, which is the same company that owns YouTube and Google, among other things. So Alphabet has invested heavily in Waymo and in uh, AVs, and this car was destroyed by an angry mob after 
this uh, after a car rolled into a crowded intersection. After one person jumped on the hood and smashed the windshield of the driverless and passengerless car, others began breaking windows and spray painting the body. Eventually, they set this car on fire with fireworks that they had for the Lunar New Year. So just understand what happened. This driverless car was initially at fault. The driverless car rolled into a crowded intersection. But what might have happened if this was a person driving it is the person gets out and says, I'm sorry, I fell asleep or I was drunk or whatever. Or you get the person out of the car and you beat him up. Instead, they blew up the car. Um, Though we don't know the motivation of the mob because angry mobs don't make a habit of sending out memos. This attack felt like the humans striking one back against the AVs. And I'm not defending this at all. But over the past few years, San Francisco has been a huge testing hub for these AVs. The hundreds of driverless taxis zipping around San Francisco apparently annoys residents almost as much as out-of-towners who, like me who would call it San Fran. AVs have been filmed causing traffic jams and, in, in some instances, blocking emergency vehicles on numerous occasions. One has even been at the center of a very serious accident. The roadblocks for the development of these cars has really cast doubt on the near-term prospect where getting chauffeured around by AI is the norm. So how did we get here? Apparently, one major setback for a driverless future came in October when a cruise AV operated by GM struck a woman who was thrown into its path after getting hit by a human driver in San Francisco. Instead of stopping immediately... The cruise AV dragged the pedestrian 20 feet as it tried to pull over to the side of the the road. The woman, obviously, as you might imagine, if you were dragged 20 feet, sustained very serious injuries. A lot of people looked at this and said, this is crazy. California and federal officials are investigating the company, which has been in crisis ever since an investigation by an outside law firm that cruise... Hired found that the incident was the result of multiple, not one, multiple technical failures. Cruz admitted that it improperly failed to disclose all the details to regulators. The company recalled its entire fleet of 950 AVs, pausing all testing around the country and fired some of their top executives. California's DMV has suspended Cruz's permit to test AVs on public roads. But this is not just about cruise. Waymo, that's that company that's owned by Alphabet. Waymo recalled 444 self-driving cars this week after two of its AVs in Arizona bumped the same towed vehicle minutes apart. A handful of Chinese companies have recently stopped testing their AVs in California. While there's friction between the U.S. and China, that could be partly to blame. George Washington University engineering professor John Helveston told Business Insider that at least one of these uh, Chinese companies pausing might have to do with harsher regulatory environments 
following the cruise accident. Experts are saying that the biggest issues with current AVs occur when they run into unusual situations, situations that might be a no-brainer for a person. It's likely a human driver would have stopped the car to check on a pedestrian they just hit before trying to pull over. While a lot of San Francisco Uber drivers would have probably used common sense and avoided all of the chaos of the Lunar New Year festivities. AI, or AV, which is really a type of AI, doesn't have that degree of common sense. I'm wondering... Do you think this spells the end, at least for a while, of driverless cars? It looked like they were going to be rolled out widely within the next year or two. And now it's looking like they've got nothing but problems. I don't know if I'd be buying stock in one of these companies right now. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Some people say it's just an image problem. Others say the industry's problems are its own doing. So, um... Meantime, some people say we should remember that while this whole list of high-profile failures of AVs is disconcerting, humans behind the wheel can spell even more trouble, especially since they're not always attentive. Sometimes they're asleep. Sometimes they're drunk. So who knows? Uh, A lot of people probably would have to get used to the idea of being driven around by a driverless car And I think this makes it a lot less likely that these cars are coming here in the next decade. There was another story, uh, and, you know, I've never ridden in a Tesla, I don't think. But my friend friend Jason has one, and he he seems to really like it. But the Elon Musk has these Teslas that can go into self-driving mode. And there was this Tesla car crash that um, got into an accident in uh, this Tesla that got into a car crash in 2022. And Elon Musk defended it. Basically, he said the driver did not have full self-driving mode on. So also, apparently, that driver in that Tesla crash in 2022, that one was in Colorado. That driver was three times over the legal limit for blood alcohol and was considered drunk. So uh, a third person in that car who survived says the driver was using the auto drive feature that the car was equipped with, but the crash site evidence is not consistent with what's usually found in the case of a human-driven car, things like skid marks. So the car apparently was continuing to drive the wheels through after the crash. So Tesla is not acknowledging the fact that the car's auto drive feature was to blame. So that's that. 800-848-9222. I also wanted to mention this story just because I think it was interesting. You know, I always get excited when there's these massive Powerball or Mega Millions jackpot. You know you're not going to win. But it's fun to buy one, I think, for $2.00. And then just dream for a day. What would it be like if I had $400 million to spend? What would I buy? What would I spend it on? Imagine you bought one of these tickets, Powerball ticket for one of these big jackpots. Imagine you check the, check the numbers and you win. Imagine how excited you feel when you see that you've got the winning numbers to Powerball. And then imagine they say, oh, Oh, no, you didn't actually win. 
Well, John Cheeks does not have to imagine that because that is almost exactly what happened to him. A Washington, D.C. man who thought he won a jackpot worth $340 million is suing Powerball and the D.C. lottery who claim they published his numbers by mistake. By mistake? John Cheeks said he felt numb when he first saw Powerball's winning numbers matched his ticket in January of 2023. But when Mr. Cheeks presented his ticket to the Office of Lottery and Gaming, his claim was denied. Mr. Cheeks told the BBC, one of the claims agents told me my ticket was no good, just to throw it in the trash can. Instead, Mr. Cheeks held on to that ticket and found a lawyer. Now he's suing for damages in the amount of the Powerball jackpot, plus the interest he would have earned on it per day, totaling $340 million. According to court documents, Powerball and a lottery contractor claim the confusion arose from a technical error. In a court filing, the uh, contractor employee said that on January 6th, 2023, see, bad stuff always happens on January 6th, The day Mr. Cheeks bought his ticket, a quality assurance team was running tests on the website. And on that day, a set of test Powerball numbers, which matched Mr. Cheeks' numbers, was posted on the website accidentally, according to court documents. Those numbers remained online for three days until January 9th. The numbers online did not match the numbers that were drawn at the last lottery draw. So he's now suing on eight separate counts, including breach of contract, negligence, infliction of emotional distress, and fraud. Now, I don't think he should be able to win a lottery that he didn't win. But there's got to be some sort of penalty here for Powerball and the D.C. lottery publishing winning numbers and having this guy think he won $340 million only for him to show up and then to tell him, oh, no, just throw your ticket away. It's garbage. It's gotta be, I don't know that he's entitled to $340 million. I think this guy's entitled to something. I don't think this is a frivolous lawsuit at all. At all. Uh, curious what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Hey, uh, earlier we were talking about Lyme disease. I was talking with Chris Newby. She was the producer of a documentary called Under Our Skin. I have not seen the documentary, but here's the trailer. I didn't know what was happening to me. I thought I was going to die. He kept saying to us, I have no idea what this is. We have, I think, a horrible epidemic. It's the next tsunami. She just went downhill very fast. I went from being a gifted athlete to there's times like it's hard to put a shirt on. It just doesn't seem possible that this poppy seed sized thing is going to make you bedridden, possibly for the rest of your life. There's Lyme disease everywhere. It's more prevalent than AIDS. How many more people are going to suffer before the truth comes out? As citizens, we ought to be astonished and alarmed. The major medical journals have published that chronic Lyme disease is not real and it's a psychosomatic condition. 
I kept getting poo-pooed by the doctors. We don't think there's anything wrong with you. There is nothing wrong. There's no medicine for someone like you. They don't have any evidence of ever having had Lyme disease once. She shouldn't have had to die. We know about Lyme disease. It's something that we have a good handle on. Well, that's nonsense. Such a waste. Insurance companies trying to get rid of doctors who cost them a lot of money. What he'll do will be to cite that there's no such thing as chronic Lyme disease. They don't want to pay. It is difficult for doctors who want to stand up and help these patients. Dr. Jim Sachs, license is suspended. There's a message that's going to be sent to the other doctors that it's not safe to take a Lyme patient on and treat them. I had to fight for what I got. I'm glad to be here. By the time you're so disabled, you're in a panic state. How do you know how to fix it? How do you know what to do? Scary stuff indeed. 800-848-9222. Pete's in New Jersey. Hi, Pete. Oh, Frank, hi. Well over five years for me with Lyme disease. I was paralyzed. Um, My knee, it attacked my knee and my memory. And generally, I lived as a similar to a 92-year-old beggar for well over five years. Um, a specialist, Dr. Derek De Silva, Edison, New Jersey, treated me largely for free for a year with a Zithromax. Um, anybody who gets a stiff neck and a fever in the summertime or late spring or Indian summer. That means you've been bitten and you've got, uh, uh, that's what it means. In those days, early 1990s, doctors were not the least bit wise or knowledgeable about it. Um, so I will say that uh, I also, uh, the pool, the healing pools of Lourdes, Our Lady of Lourdes, France, a trip to there, and... I must say, going back to your Dr. Sky uh, interview about the solar eclipse on April 8th, that day, April 8th, is also uh, the uh, Annunciation of uh, the Coming of the Lord, the S.U.N. of Justice, on the Catholic calendar. I found that to be a curious coincidence. That is interesting. I hadn't realized that. I appreciate you pointing that out. Pete, uh, thanks for sharing that. I hope your health is uh, is better now, and and best of luck to you. 800-848-9222. Tom is in Baltimore. Hello, Tom. Yeah, on the subject of the public being ticked off about the badness of science, Kurt Vonnegut wrote a short story in the 70s called Ice Nine, in which the Army develops an icing agent to keep tanks out of the mud, only they fail to put a limiting factor on, and it freezes up all the oceans of the world and destroys all life on the planet. All right, well, that's something Uh, to look forward to. Thank you, Tom. Uh, By the way, coming up in a few minutes, I'm going to talk with Congressman Tom McClintock. I've followed Congressman McClintock's career for a long time. He's been uh, he's never been on the show, but I followed him for a long time. He's one of only three Republicans to vote against impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas. Um, In my view, the whole impeachment of Mayorkas is just a gigantic waste of time. But we'll ask uh, Congressman McClintock why he voted the way that he did. And I'll raise, you know, the concerns of people that feel differently than I do. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Suffolk. Hello, Robert. 
Hi, Frank. Hi. I since moving out to the Pine Barrens years ago, every year I got tested for Lyme disease. I didn't get that, but it had been so long since I had uh, a hamburger or beef. Really, I got myself tested because I had been bitten so many times by ticks. Tested for red meat allergy, and I'm positive from the Lone Star ticks. They are vicious. They're brutal. The nymphs are the little ones that just hatched. They're the size of a pepper speck. Mm. You need a 10-power magnifying glass to see them. It's a bug. It sounds awful, Robert. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry you're not able to enjoy a steak anymore, but you, you shouldn't be eating red meat anyway. Um, you know, I a fella called in the other day. I think it was a fellow from Minnesota and said, oh, you know, do you like the outdoors? You never talk about the outdoors. And I do like the outdoors. I, again, as I said, I enjoy a hike as much as the next guy. But on the whole, I like the outdoors and a hike in nature as something that's nice once in a while. As a general rule, I like pavement. I like streets. I like, you know, cities. I like an urban existence. I am a city guy. Now, I happen to live in a city. The neighborhood that I live in is a bit more suburban and actually has a very high prevalence of uh, Lyme disease and ticks because it's a bit more suburban and there's a lot of grass and open spaces and there's a lot of deer, quite frankly. But I listen to Robert. I listen to the gentleman Pete. And I just hear these nightmare stories about people getting bit with these ticks and getting these tick-borne illnesses. Five years the guy dealt with it. Lived like a 92-year-old, was practically paralyzed. I hear these stories and I think, my goodness, I'm not going in the woods. I'll stay on my sidewalk. I'll stay walking around on the streets and take my chances with getting hit by a car or mugged on the subway. I'll take that over a tick paralyzing me. My goodness. Whew. Scary stuff. Hey, Congressman Tom McClintock joins us to talk impeachment and more straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. This is a, a real treat for me because uh, as somebody that has just watched in frustration as both parties in Congress, no matter which party's in the majority, no matter which party's in the minority, no matter whether the president is a Democrat or a Republican, I've seen um, Congress just spend money that it doesn't have frivolously, whether it's for this project or for that war, it seems Congress 
cannot borrow money fast enough to spend it. And you really wonder about what the long-term implications of this, particularly now that interest rates are going up. Well, for many years, uh, there has been the conscience of Congress, a guy who has been a fiscal watchdog's fiscal watchdog, uh, who I, whose career I have been following for about 21 years when he got into that California recall election. Now it's probably best known for the election where Arnold Schwarzenegger was elected governor. But at the time, it was very well well known because there was a shorter list of people that lived in California that weren't running for governor. That was the election that saw Larry Flint run and Gary Coleman and Ariana Huffington and anybody and everybody. But just about everybody said that the person that performed best in those debates was a state legislator at the time, a Republican by the name of Tom McClintock. Since then, he's gone to Congress and uh, he's been in Congress since 2009. And now he's generating quite a bit of uh, acclaim in some quarters, criticism in others for being one of only three House Republicans to vote against the impeachment of the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. My very, very uh, great pleasure to welcome to the program for the first time, Congressman Tom McClintock. Congressman, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Well, thanks so much for having me, Frank. Now, I I do want to talk with you about this Mayorkas situation, but I think a lot of our listeners around the country are like me, and they first kind of became aware of you in that California recall election back in 2003. I remember that election. I remember... I remember a lot of conservative uh, hosts around the country saying, all right, McClintock is a smart guy. Maybe he's right on the issues. Maybe he did the best in the debate. But a vote for him is really just a vote to give the election to the Democrat, Cruz Bustamante. I'm curious, what kind of blowback did you get by running in that election from Republicans, if any? Well, it was kind of frustrating because all the polling uh, uh, said that by overwhelmingly uh, people thought I was the best qualified and make the best uh, uh, replacement for Gray Davis, but they didn't think I could win. So we spent the last part of the campaign just running ahead saying, you know, it's OK to vote for the guy you want to win and uh, uh, to no avail. Uh, uh, but I, I did have the, that, that consolation of, of um uh, of, of knowing that uh, uh, the public thought I was best qualified, even if, if I, they didn't vote for me. <laughs> now, through the prism of hindsight, through two terms of Governor Schwarzenegger, how do you think he did? Did he make a believer out of you? first year, I think he tried. And um, uh, after he lost uh, several ballot propositions, he, he put on the ballot, which was actually part of my uh, original uh, plan, that a uh, platform that I ran on. Uh, he got his head handed to him um, and uh, and then went uh, hard left. So we ended up with the biggest tax increase uh, ever imposed by any state in American history uh, and uh, uh, the most oppressive uh, uh, business regulations uh, – especially uh, on uh, carbon dioxide emissions that have been plaguing the state ever since. Uh, So a lot of the groundwork uh, uh, for the failures that we have subsequently seen uh, with California's economy uh, stem from from, uh, that administration. So I'm I'm afraid that my my concerns at the time were well placed, uh, even though I, I do think he tried to govern conservatively the first year. If people are listening in the New York area and they're thinking, boy, there's something about that guy that I like, but I didn't realize it. It's because you're actually originally a New Yorker. You were born and raised in uh, White Plains, from what I understand. Actually, actually Bronxville, but uh, I spent my early years in White Plains. Very fond memories. 
How did you end up in California? My family fled uh, because of the deteriorating conditions there. I mean, you see, wherever the left takes control, you see all of the same social and economic and, and political pathologies. You see, you know, uh, sky high taxes, rising crime, of uh, oppressive uh, uh, business regulations. Uh, you see chronic shortages of, of basic necessities like housing, uh, electricity, uh, water gasoline uh, with sky high prices and uh, and ultimately you see uh, uh, fleeing families uh, and and failing businesses and that's essentially what my parents fled uh, in 1965 they came to California for a fresh start my dad had been unemployed for for over a year they found the home of their dreams my dad immediately found a good job in the Los Angeles area uh, and it really was a golden state and then the left began imposing its policies in California and now we see exactly the same thing that's happened here and it's 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 very frustrating now they're trying to take over our country and we can't let them do that because whether you're a New Yorker uh, or a Californian there are other states you can always move to if things get bad enough if if the left destroys our country, where are we going to go? Uh, talking with Congressman Tom McClintock, Republican representing California's 5th District. I have uh, some family in California. They have some of the same complaints as what you just articulated. I have other family members that have moved out of California for precisely some of the same reasons you just articulated. A lot of folks would say, you know, smart guys, guys with principles like Tom McClintock, we really need him to fix state government. And I know you tried. You tried to run for governor, lieutenant governor, and you served in the state legislature for a while. Why go to Congress? What what made you make the pivot to Congress when clearly the state government in California seems like it's clearly in need of some help? Because we'd lost the battle in California, and that that battleground had had moved to Washington, and and that's a far more important fight. Because as I said, there's no other country that Americans can move to that 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 uh, offers the same liberty that we and and prosperity that we once took for granted and that we're we're now quickly losing. One of my favorite radio talk show hosts, he's also a friend, is a great admirer of yours, uh, Doug McIntyre. He was on uh, KBC in L.A. for many years, WABC in New York. He was syndicated. He'd been all over the place. And he always said from the time that you got to Congress, you were the only member of Congress that he ever got the impression actually understood the budget and maybe even the only one that actually read the budget bills. Uh, Maybe you're not the only one, but it does seem like you're in the minority. Why do so few of your colleagues understand the budget and even seem to put in not much effort into actually reading these budget bills? Because bringing a budget under under control, balancing a budget requires pronouncing the word no, and that's a very unpopular word for politicians to utter. It makes people angry. Uh, saying yes to everyone makes you very, very popular. But unfortunately, as Margaret Thatcher said years ago, the problem with socialism, sooner or later, you run out of other people's money. Uh, and uh, and I, I think William F. Buckley put it very well um, uh, many years ago when he said the average federal program grants its beneficiaries uh, approximately $500. It costs the average taxpayer five cents question. Uh, who oppresses claims on government the loudest, the man who stands to gain $500 or the man who stands to lose five cents? That's that's the other 
problem in, in, in trying to bring spending under control. It, uh, uh, government confers concentrated benefits on people who uh, have an enormous incentive to lobby for more, and it diffuses the costs across the entire tax base so, so that the taxpayers, the people who are paying all these bills, don't have a concomitant uh, interest in lobbying against that spending, and spending goes out of control. And you eventually reach a point like they have in Argentina. I just uh, read that their new president there uh, has has just balanced their budget by making enormous dramatic cuts in federal in in, in Argentine spending. And, and by the way, that's how you know people forget that's how we got out of the enormous debt of World War II. Uh, uh, you know, Harry Truman. Uh, in fiscal year 1946, cut federal spending from 85 billion down to 30 billion in a single year. Mm. He fired 10 million federal employees. It was called war demobilization. The Keynesians at the time predicted uh, a 25% unemployment and another Great Depression. Instead, we had the post-war economic boom. He he abolished the excess profits tax. Uh, he slashed federal income tax rates. Um, uh, and the result was the prosperity that we saw in the 1950s. So it, it is possible to do that, but you have to reach a point where people are willing to listen to the politicians who are saying this is unsustainable. And we're getting to the point now in this country where more and more people are starting to realize that. The the only problem I have with your Buckley impersonation is that you didn't clear huh. your throat midway through the quote. Other than that, yes. it seems uh, pretty pretty on the money. All right, uh, a lot of conservatives are listening to you right now, and they're nodding. They're saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we like this guy. We like this guy." And now you're going to have to explain to them, some of whom may differ starkly with you on this, why you were one of only three Republicans in the House of Representatives not to impeach. Alejandro Mayorkas. Mayorkas is a major villain. Why were you one of the few not to vote yes on impeachment? Well, for, for exactly the same reasons I vigorously opposed the, the sham impeachments of Donald Trump. It, it dumbs down the standard for impeachment. It assures that this is going to become a constant fixture in our national life whenever the White House is, is held by one party and the Congress by the other. I have been fighting Mayorkas for years. I chair the Immigration Subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee. Most of H.R. 2, the, the strong border protection bill we pressed out of the, uh, uh, out of the House of uh, about six or seven months ago now, most of that was taken from the legislation that I put through the House Judiciary Committee. So I've got nothing nice to say about him. He is guilty of maladministration on an absolutely cosmic scale. But that's not grounds for impeachment. And we know this because the founders specifically considered that as grounds and rejected it. Instead, they chose very narrow grounds of high crimes and misdemeanors, meaning actual crimes using the office. They, they simply didn't want policy and political disputes to be turned into impeachments. And if Republicans sign off on this bold new uh, 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 vision of a expansive grounds for impeachment, uh, there won't be anybody left in Washington to defend the conservatives on the Supreme Court or the next Republican president if the uh, House falls into Democratic hands. I certainly agree with you, but a lot of conservatives that disagree believe that it's a lot worse than Mayorkas just doing a bad job on the border, which I think everybody acknowledges. But it's the fact that he they say the proponents of impeachment, they'll they say that he actually lied under oath when he claimed that he maintained operational control of the border in April of 2022, which we know is not the case. 
doesn't that merit impeachment if a, a cabinet secretary is going to lie to Congress under oath? Of uh, uh, material of uh, uh, facts uh, that that he knows are lies, yes, that is impeachable. But that's not the case here. This is a matter of opinion. Have you secured the border? Yes, I believe the the border is secure. Well, we can differ on that. I, you know, it, it's it's absurd. Uh, but it is an opinion. Material statements of fact are one thing. Uh, uh, opinions uh, are something very different. And uh, and so, no, that's not impeachable. And, you know, they also say, well, he's not enforcing the law. And that's largely true. But not enforcing the law is, is not the same as breaking it. And by the way, that's not just my opinion. That's the opinion of the conservative majority on the Supreme Court in, in the recent Texas case. Um, you know, enforcement, even if it's entirely inadequate and incompetent, is within the constitutional powers of the president. He and his officials are ultimately accountable to the people for that. And that's the point we've got to constantly bear in mind. Uh, the Congress can't fix this. The Congress writes laws, but it can't cannot enforce them. Uh, and, and trading one left wing uh, official like Mayorkas for, say, Ocasio-Cortez isn't going to change the situation. Trading Joe Biden for Kamala Harris is not going to change the situation. This crisis was set in motion by the American people when they elected the Biden administration. This is exactly what they promised to do. This is exactly what they've done. And this is exactly what they defended for the last three years. And it can only be fixed by replacing it with an administration that is dedicated to securing our borders and defending our people and upholding the rule of law. And that can only be done by the American people at the ballot box. Talking with Republican Congressman Tom McClintock, you've been very generous with your time. Give me a few more minutes because I have some follow up on this. Um, This impeachment has no chance of going anywhere in the U.S. Senate, right? Uh, in, in fact, I, I think it, we may end up seeing it dismissed with a, uh, a bipartisan majority because, again, these are just not impeachable crimes. Are things going so well in Congress that the House of Representatives has absolutely nothing better to do than pass a one house impeachment that has no prayer of going anywhere in the other house? Well, uh, obviously, we have major problems we're confronting right now uh, or should be confronting. And this does take up bandwidth. And I think that's what the Senate's going to end up concluding. What's been the blowback to your decision from either your Republican colleagues or rank and file Republicans around the country? Well, you know, a lot of my my uh, colleagues respect my position, even those that disagree with it. A lot of them agree with it privately, but just don't want mm-hmm. to uh, offend the uh, the so-called Republican base. But uh, uh, my my experience has been it, it splits about evenly among Republicans. Um, but but ultimately, this the, the, these are exactly the same issues that we confronted in the impeachments of Donald Trump. The, the same arguments I made then, uh, I'm making now. And the only difference is uh, when I was making the, this, these arguments to oppose the, the sham impeachments of Trump, the, the conservative base was cheering, and, and now the same arguments get, get them jeering. But um, when I've explained the situation to most people, they get it. And, and I think most of them accept it, and even those that don't accept it at least respect it. And, and, and I appreciate that. 
It looks like uh, so far about 23 of your colleagues, fellow House Republicans, are choosing not to run for re-election this cycle. How come? What's so terrible about being in Congress these days that nobody seems to want to come back? Well, obviously, the the, 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 uh, the issues are compounding, and there's a great deal of frustration that it's very hard to get anything done in, in Congress. And But we have to remember, that's that's the way the system is designed. When a decision was to be made, the American founders wanted a great, big, ugly food fight. They wanted every voice in the country to be heard. They wanted the subject held up to every conceivable light. They wanted it to be very, very hard to make laws. Um, uh, 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 and I think, I think uh, a lot of people get frustrated with that process. Uh, uh, it doesn't frustrate me it's it well yes it does frustrate me i'll be honest with you yes but it's the way the system is designed to work and and i am constantly um uh, buoyed by knowing that our country's been through far more difficult times than these and we've gotten through uh, and we'll get through these times as well lastly sir let me as long as we stand by our constitution uh, let, let me ask you finally about the Biden impeachment. Recently, they arrested the former FBI informant that claimed the Bidens had gotten five million dollars each in bribes. And that seemed to be one of the defining rationale of the Biden impeachment. Do you think it's time for your colleagues to pivot and look elsewhere now that this new information has come to light? Or do you think it's appropriate to go forward with a Biden impeachment inquiry? I, I don't know the answer to that question right now. Um, uh, I am very concerned with this double standard of law enforcement we're seeing out of the Department of Justice, and particularly by this uh, 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 special prosecutor. The question arises, uh, is this a legitimate case of, of perjury, uh, or is this also politically motivated trying to discredit uh, a key witness in the case against Joe Biden. I don't know the answer to that question, but I've seen enough of this double standard to be very suspicious about it. I do believe that this uh, investigation needs to proceed. Bribery is a, an impeachable offense under our Constitution, uh, and there's a lot of circumstantial evidence uh, that the Biden family was running for many years uh, a family influence peddling scheme. The question is, uh, how deeply involved Involved with Joe Biden in it. All of that does need to come out because it, it touches on critical questions involving, um, uh, uh, among other things, the foreign policy decisions being made by this administration. So that is a legitimate inquiry. Um, and with respect to uh, uh, the charges that uh, Weiss has just brought against this witness, I have to tell you, uh, uh, I am somewhat skeptical and I've mm. not looked into it uh, carefully, so I'm not going to make any charges, but I do have suspicions based upon the double standard that we're seeing out of the Department of Justice under this administration. All right. Uh, Congressman Tom McClintock, we'll have to end it there. Uh, thank you for coming on the program. I hope you'll come back. Frank, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Just call. Thank you, Congressman Tom McClintock, Republican, representing California's 5th District. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's 
Sign at Midnight with Frank Morano. Bumper music selection from the lovely and talented Dana Marquis. Happy birthday, Dana. Hopefully all of your wishes come true today and always. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're uh, talking about. 800-848-9222. A quick cat update. I I think my wife has made the decision that um, Ed our cat that we've been fostering for a few months now has finally reached the end of the road in our house. And, uh, the one couple that, um, that, well, the, the one person that came and, and interviewed with him and seemed to express an interest, they've decided not to take him because he's too big. So my, my wife's plan is to, when she returns to long Island for her sister's, uh, baby sprinkle she is going to return the cat to long island and repatriate him out there and give them to back give give ed back to her other sister sarah so i really had hoped that we could either find a way to make this living arrangement work to have ed live with us Apparently it's not to be. The veterinarian told us that he's an outdoor cat and he's going to continue to get more aggressive. And just yesterday when my wife was putting up our St. Patrick's Day decorations because that's what happens when you're married to an Irishman. They put up St. Patrick's Day de- uh, decorations. He he scratched her pretty hard and she was bleeding and she still is um, not fully recovered from this injury. So it uh, it, it looks like it is – Coming to the end of the line for Ed, looks like D-Day is going to be March 3rd when he's repatriated to Long Island. The other thing I had hoped is that maybe one of our neighbors would take him because the our neighbors across the street, the boys that they have seem to really like him and they don't really have a they don't they don't have a pet currently. And I was hoping they would really take Ed so we could still see him. But they don't seem interested in in doing that. And you know, a pet's a serious thing. You can't just you can't just say you're going to take him if you're not going to be prepared to take care of them. So that's the latest with Ed. I had hoped it worked out it would work out differently. And who knows? Maybe there'll be some sort of a miracle between now and next Sunday. But uh, at this point, he is going. His days are numbered in the Morano household. So that's that. All right. 800-848-9222. You can also uh, follow our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Morano fan. That's facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. 
And you can even find me on the social media network that I still refer to as Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Tomorrow is usually our day to uh, chat with Brian Kilmeade, but he's off tomorrow. So uh, we're going to work on some other interesting things that I'm putting together. What those interesting things are, I haven't quite figured them out yet, but trust me, they are going to be quite interesting. Oh, uh, I had to bring this to your attention because we've had a lot of guests on, not the least of which is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but many others that have commented on the issue of the COVID vaccine and what possible side effects the COVID vaccine may, may have. Bloomberg News has a story that the largest COVID vaccine study yet finds links to health conditions vaccines that protect against severe illness, death and lingering long COVID symptoms from a coronavirus infection were linked to small increases in neurological blood and heart related conditions in the largest global vaccine safety study to date. And these rare events, which were identified early in the pandemic, included a higher risk of heart-related inflammation from mRNA shots made by Pfizer, Moderna, and uh, BioNTech, and an increased risk of a type of blood clot in the brain after immunization. Now, I was vaccinated, and I was boosted. I didn't get the most recent round of uh, boosts because I started reading articles like this and seeing studies that basically said this. And I think, you know, I'm not I think the vaccine absolutely played a role in helping to end the covid pandemic. No doubt about it. And honestly, I think it's one of President Trump's greatest accomplishments. That being said, I think if you're healthy and not part of an at risk group, I I think you really need to weigh whether you're better off either getting covid or taking the again, it's not a great chance that you'll have one of these side effects, but. It's a it's it's not an impossibility. It's not like winning Powerball. It can happen. I think you have to weigh the risks and talk to your doctor about it. But I, I thought that was interesting that now some mainstream news outlets are starting to report the kind of thing that we've been talking about on this program for some time now. So I'm going to link to that on my Facebook page if you want to read this Bloomberg News study. Until next hour, your influence counts. Use it. <laughs> 